favorite advertising icon. I mean, he's just slightly ahead of the Geico Gecko, but I absolutely love the Energizer Bunny. I mean, of all the commercials I've ever seen, this is my favorite. And I didn't realize it had been around since 1989, but it has. And what happened was the Energizer Battery Company decided that they wanted some, some kind of symbol or signal to send to the buying public that their batteries lasted longer than anybody else's. So they came up with this idea of the Energizer Bunny, and what happened was they had him, you know, the techies had him in the factory, and they were wiring him and everything, and they snapped in an Energizer battery, and then the bunny just took off. And he knocked over stuff on the table, got on the floor, and they couldn't stop him. The techies tried to stop him, but they couldn't. He just marched right out of the lab and into our world, and for years we've just seen the bunny marching through life, and nobody could stop the Energizer Bunny. And you know, there was always that ad slogan, it keeps going and going and going, nothing lasts longer than the Energizer battery. And they had that for a long time until Dateline decided to do a little expose. I guess they got tired of blowing up GM pickups and decided that what they were going to do is check out and see if the batteries lasted as long as they said they did. And in some applications, Duracell lasted longer, so they had to drop that thing about no battery lasts longer, but they kept that. It keeps going and going and going. And I don't have any idea which battery lasts longer. I try not to buy batteries if I can help it, but I do know this. I know this, this, this bunny has always captured my attention because I think on a lower level, subliminal level, I have a desire to have that thing in my life where I just keep going and going and going because from time to time, life will come along and it will rock you pretty hard and it'll be everything you can do to keep going. You know, some things in life are tough. You have family situations or employment situations. It could be your health or maybe a, a friendship that you counted on didn't work out. And, you know, boom, it's like a blow to the solar plexus. And, and the question is, do we just check out? Do we quit or do we keep going? And the biggest question is, what about our, our life with God, our relationship with God? Do we at some point check out on God? I've met people who have. You know, they, they wanted to follow God, but then a divorce happened or maybe an illness happened or just a series of unfortunate events. And I've had them say to me something like this, Mark, I just don't think I can follow God anymore. I tried it and it didn't work. You know, we're talking about faith and we've said that faith is it. Faith is having confidence in God, that God is God, that he's always right and that he always keeps his promises. And on good days, we can nod and say, yeah, faith is it. Yeah, God is God, God is right, God always keeps his promises. But then when things don't go well in our lives, and we thought we were following God, we thought we were doing what God wants to do, and things don't go well in our lives, it's real easy to back away and say, well, is faith really it? Even to the place where you can just toss it down on the ground and say, I don't think I'm in the game anymore. Well, if there was one guy in the Bible who personifies what we're talking about today, and if there was a guy in the Bible that I, I would think about as kind of the Energizer Bunny who just kept right on going no matter what, the guy's name is Joseph. He is probably my favorite character of the Old Testament. Joseph is one of what we call the patriarchs. That means one of the early fathers of the Jewish people. He is the grandson of 
of uh, Isaac, the great-grandson of Abraham. And he, he was a great man. He was loved by his father. And most of all, he had the favor of God on his life. And I really believe that today, every one of us who has determined to follow God, we have a measure of favor in our lives. God's favor, God's smiling upon us, God saying, I'm going to let you go places other people may not go. And the more favor you have in your life, the more successful that you can be. But God doesn't put favor on people because of the, I mean, like the world puts favor on people. You know, the world favors people who are beautiful, people who are famous. You know, I'm, is there anybody but me here today who's a little weirded out by all the coverage of Anna Nicole Smith? You know, I'm, I, I'm, my heart goes out to her. I'm not concerned about where she's going to be buried. I'm concerned about where she is right now. But I just, you know, our world puts favor on people by their looks because of their, you know, their wealth or because of their fame or whatever. But God doesn't put favor on people for any of those reasons. In fact, God a lot of times blows our mind by choosing someone to put favor on that we might be puzzled as to why he would do it. But God did put favor on Joseph. Early on, God sort of whispered in his ear while he was asleep one night in a dream that Joseph was going to do special things. In Joseph's dream, he, he, he was represented by a, a bundle of grain, and he had tw- uh, 11 brothers. And in his dream, the 11 brothers' grain w- was bowing down to his. And, and that was a sign. God was whispering in his ear, you are destined for special things. Joseph understood clearly that God wanted to elevate him, not so that he could you know, rub it in people's noses, but so that he could be a help and a benefit to people. And Joseph tried to tell his brothers about it, his older brothers, his 10 older brothers especially. They didn't like his dream because they, they said, who do you think you are? And they didn't like it. And by the way, you know, if you're a person with dreams, sometimes people who don't have dreams aren't going to like you very much. You know, people that are just sort of content to rock along and as long as money's coming in and they can sleep with whoever they want to sleep with and, you know, just kind of like enjoy life the way they want to. You come along and you have dreams for something big and you tell them about those dreams and you're going you're to make them a little uncomfortable. And that's what happened with Joseph's brothers. They hated him. But there was nothing they could do while they were at home because Joseph's dad loved him very much and these guys didn't want to upset their dad. But just giving you a little quick background here, the patriarchs were all nomads. That meant they had to keep on the move. They had flocks and herds, and they had to just keep them going for grazing and water. And so Joseph's ten older brothers had been assigned to take the, floor, the flocks out and, and find grazing some distance away from home. And Joseph was left there to help his dad manage the business. And one day, Jacob, Joseph's dad, said to him, I want you to go out and check on your brothers and bring me back a report of how they're doing. By the way, don't you hate sometimes to have to be a hall monitor in life when somebody assigns you to go check up on other people? Joseph's brothers already didn't like him. And when they saw him coming, they said, here comes daddy's boy. He's coming to check us out. And, and they said, this is amazing to think about that brothers would think this way. But his brother said, here comes this dreamer. Let's kill him. Can you imagine your brothers or sisters wanting to kill you? Some of you may say, yeah, you can. But I mean... This is what happened. They just said, let's kill him. And their oldest brother, Reuben, he, he was kind of like vacillating back and forth because he was chiming in with the let's kill him part. But at the same time, he knew that his dad was going to be upset with him as the oldest brother holding him accountable. And so Joe, Reuben, his oldest brother, said, well, let's just put him in a pit and think about it for a while. And they did. And along come these slave traders on their way to Egypt. And the brothers say, you know what? If we kill this kid, we're not going to get anything out of that. So let's sell him 
to these slave traders. They'll kill him. We won't be responsible. And we can, we can, you know, we can let our brother know how we feel about him. And they did. They sold him as a slave. Now, my guess is your brothers and sisters are not going to sell you to be a slave because slavery, thank God, is unconstitutional in our country. But I want you to think for a moment about some of the principles that happen in, in this situation and think about how they might apply to you and me and how some of the things that Joseph endured, we may endure and it may, may make it real hard to keep going. For one thing, I see in his brother's situation that Joseph was hated by somebody who should have loved him. I can't think of any reason why Joseph's brothers should not have loved him. In fact, their destiny ultimately will be in Joseph's hands. But he was hated by somebody who loved him. How many of you here today know what it's like to be hated by somebody who should love you? I mean, you've been despised by somebody. You haven't been anything but good to that person. And, and yet someone who should love you, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a brother or sister, maybe it's somebody you work with, maybe it's a friend, someone you thought was your friend. And you've invested in their lives, and yet out of the blue, you just found out one day they hated you. I see also another principle here that a lot of people deal with. Joseph found a threat where he should have found security. I mean, of all places, the world is a scary place. Of all places where a person should be able to feel comfortable and feel at home, it should have been with his brothers. My, my dad and his younger brother always talk about how that, you know, my, my, my uncle was kind of spindly and sickly when he was little, and bullies would pick on him, and dad would come to, 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 to his defense, and they still talk about it to this day many years later, and they're still close because of that. And many of us know what it's like to have a brother or sister stand up for us when we're being attacked. And of all the places where Joseph should have felt secure, he should have felt secure with his older brothers. But there was where the threat lay. And I may be talking to somebody here today, and it was the same for you. You know, you thought you would get married to somebody, and that person would be your partner for life. And if anybody would be in your corner, it would be your husband or your wife. But then one day, that person just decided they'd had enough of you and walked out and left you a note and goodbye. Or maybe that person that you thought would be your life partner, your soulmate, cheated on you. And you found out later on, that person was just playing you for a fool. Could have been you're at a different situation. You know, if any child should be secure, it's in homes, it's with their parents, it's with their family members. But maybe that's where the abuse took place. Or it could be that you had a bad experience in church. You know, if there's any place where people should love each other and protect each other and care for each other and not judge... It should be a church. But maybe that's where the rejection took place. What about how that works in your life? My guess is I've talked about every single one of us with those two principles. Did it make you stop? Or are you, on the other hand, still going? Well, Joseph was. I don't know how he kept his spirits up because here is a a boy who had been loved by his dad, he had the favor of God, and his brothers sell him. I envision what it must have been like for Joseph to be tied up with a rope and dragged behind a camel. He doesn't know where he's going. He, don't know, he doesn't know what these people are going to do to him. He doesn't know the language. He doesn't know the customs. And most of all, he is now a piece of property. And of all places, he winds up in Egypt. Joseph doesn't know anything about Egypt, but he's there. And he gets sold, and he winds up in the home of a man who would be our modern-day equivalent of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff or perhaps the Secretary of Defense. The guy's name was Potiphar. And I guarantee you that when Joseph started out, he had the very worst jobs in the house. 
He was doing stuff that we wouldn't want to talk about before lunch or after lunch. Because, you know, he was a foreigner, he was a slave, 17-year-old kid, he's a piece of property. And again, if I'm Joseph, I struggle with that. I, I think, how do I keep going? I don't know these people, I don't know what life is going to hold. But Joseph keeps going, and the Bible says God was with him. And God just began to rise him through the ranks. Because remember, he's got the favor of God. If God's favor is on you, no one can stop you. If God is for us, the Bible says, who can be against us? So Joseph just starts his ascent of power. People just notice, when you give Joseph a job, no matter how cruddy it is, no matter how ugly it is, you give Joseph a job, it gets done. So the next thing, you know, he's moving up a little higher. And he's doing a little more important task. He's running errands. He's going down to the palace and doing stuff for the man of the home. And after a while, he is so effective that Potiphar, the guy who owns everything, he just says, hey, I'm turning over everything that happens in this house to Joseph. In fact, the Bible says that the only thing Potiphar knew about was the food on his table. Joseph handled everything else. And now he is the man. You want to do something with Potiphar? Got to talk to Joseph. Go check it out with Joseph. And if I'm Joseph, I'm thinking, you know what? There was a reason why I kept going when my brothers sold me into slavery. I marched right into this new environment. And I can see now what God is going to do in my life. God has destined me to be the manager for this man Potiphar. Joseph is eating well. He's dressing well. He's learning stuff. He's learning the customs. He's getting a little smarter. And he's saying, I guess this is what God destined for me. When you get to that place in your life where you feel like you are where God destined you, this is your final stop, you need to be prepared for something. Because God can put down the clutch and shift gears. And sometimes, although God doesn't mean you any evil, he will allow or or use something that someone does to hurt us to take us to the next level. Well, there's a problem in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife is hot. And she's a good-looking woman, and she's, you know, she's, she's a kind of party girl. And she checks Joseph out, and she's saying, hey, I think there's some possibility here. And so when Potiphar goes down to the palace to work, every day when Joseph goes into the house to take care of business, Potiphar's wife is kind of flirting with Joseph. She's just dropping stuff on him, you know, just suggestive stuff, just some dirty talk, just some double entendre going on there. And Joseph, he doesn't want to do wrong. He just has blinders onto it. He's got his ears closed, but he has to work in the house. He doesn't have any choice. And so he he does his his best to avoid Potiphar's wife as much as possible. But she just keeps right on going and keeps right on going. One day, Joseph walks into the house, and he doesn't realize he's the only person there other than Potiphar's wife. And she makes it real plain what she wants him to do. And I love what Joseph said, and I think every man who wants to be a man of honor needs to listen to what Joseph said there. He said, your husband trusts me. The man trusts me. I've been put in a place of trust, and I can't betray Potiphar and cheat with his wife. And I just think every man here today ought to be a man of honor and think about, I can't betray my wife. I can't betray my kids. I can't betray this other woman. I can't betray her family. And every woman needs to think like that too across the line. Potiphar, uh, Joseph said, I can't do this. But he said, I also have one more issue. I have a God. And that God has been whispering things in my ears ever since I've been a little kid. That he's got special plans for me. And I'm not going to betray my God. I'm not going to do this thing. Kudos to Joseph. You would think, man, Joseph's going to keep right on marching here. We're proud of him. But all of a sudden, things take a terrible turn. Potiphar's wife reaches out and grabs his coat or his robe that he's wearing. And she won't let him go. 
And she keeps after him. And finally, Joseph does the only thing that he knows to do. He can't pull his robe back from her, so he just runs out of his robe and runs out of the house. Well, you know the old saying, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And Potiphar's wife decides she's going to tell a little different story. She's going to put her spin on it. And her story to her husband when he came home that night was, this Hebrew came into our house and he tried to rape me and I grabbed his coat and I screamed and he ran. How 180 degrees can you get? And that night, I mean, consider, forgive me for breaking a sentence, but realize how it was that day in Joseph's life. He woke up that morning a man of power and a man of influence and a man who was rising to fame in Potiphar's house. He woke up with everything going for him. By nightfall, he's in an orange jumpsuit and he's being thumbprinted for attempted rape. Now let's back off off from that for a moment because my guess is you won't be charged with attempted rape. But some of those principles that Joseph dealt with, you're going to have to deal with. I don't know why Satan does this. I think he just does it to hurt us as much as he can. But oftentimes, he will work to accuse you of the thing you're least likely to do. You know, I don't like, I don't like to be accused of anything. But if you're going to accuse me, accuse me of something I'm guilty of. In fact, ordinarily, I'll, I'll tell people, this is a weakness of mine. This is a problem that I have. I mean, if you and I are brought to task for something that we've done wrong, it might not be pleasant, but we can sort of deal with that. We can say, yeah, I had it coming. But what's it like when somebody accuses you of something you would never dream of doing? What if somebody accuses you of the very opposite of what you had in mind? Satan has a way of doing that. And he gets his, he gets his people to do that. And it hurts so bad. It's just, the, I mean, it's just the sense of, I would never do anything like that. I mean, can you imagine how Joseph felt? when they were interrogating him down at the prison and asking him about what he did and trying to get him to confess, and all the time he did the very opposite? I think that's really tough. Sometimes, you know, parents need to be wise because oftentimes they accuse their children of doing things without really knowing whether their kids did it or not. And that's when kids many times become bitter and say, if I'm going to be accused of it, I might as well do it. And that... That's something that puts the brakes on for a lot of people. When injustice comes and you're accused of something you would never do, sometimes that just causes us to throw up our hands and say, I'm not going to do that, but not Joseph. There's something else here that's hard to keep going with. Joseph watched years of work in his life go up in smoke in one day. Has that happened to you? I know it's happened to some of you. You know, you put in your best time in the company, you, you were a company person, you worked hard. You, you, you stayed late when you didn't have to to work on projects. You came in early when nobody was watching the clock, but because you cared about your job and you cared about the company, you came in and gave it your very best only one time to walk into the, to the factory, not know it was coming. Boom, there's a pink slip. You're laid off. Forgotten is all the time that you put in, and years of work go up in a puff of smoke in one day. It's hard to keep going. Joseph dealt with with all those things. But I think the hardest, I'm just trying to put myself in his place. The hardest thing that I think Joseph had to deal with, with the deal with Potiphar's wife is, this is the second go around. You know, a lot of times when God delivers us from something, we want to say, well, wow, that, you know, I was in trouble, but God has brought me out. But then when we get right back into some kind of trouble, there's this feeling of maybe I'm a jinx. And that was tough. So now Joseph is in jail. You know, if we were visiting Joseph, we would say, hey, sorry about your dreams, man. 
You know, at one time, you, you had some ideas that God was going to do something special in your life, and you really tried. So, Joseph, we really feel bad for you, and, and it just didn't go well, and, and, you know, too bad, and sorry, it's all over for you. But I think if you could have heard Joseph, he would have said something like this. I think he would have said, you know, I've been checking this jail out. I don't think it's run real efficient. <clears throat> now, I think there's some possibilities here. You say, excuse me? You're here on a trumped-up attempted rape charge, and you're saying there's possibilities here in the jail? Yeah, I think, I think if it was, I think if somebody were to take these things in hand and, and, and organize it right, I really think this jail could be something. Now, this is a powerful lesson. If you want to be one of those people who keep going, let me give you one of the most delicious principles of life. Here it is. Always bring your A game. If you have a D-minus job, bring your A game to it. There is just something God loves about that. When nobody else is watching and you've got a cruddy job and it's not what you intended, when you bring your A game to that, God, for some reason, is all over that. And the Bible says that God blessed Joseph even while he was in jail. And after a while, they just started turning things over to him. To the place where the warden finally decided, hey, we're just going to put Joseph in charge of the jail. How about that? Here is a guy who's a, who's arrested for attempted rape, and by the time it's all over, he's running the jail. But the Bible says God was with him. I want to read a couple verses to you. This is about when he was first a slave. In Genesis 39, verse 2, the Bible says, The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did. Then... Later in the same chapter, this is when he went to jail, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. That's bringing your A-game, isn't it? But now here's where I struggle. Because when I'm in trouble, I have faith that God is going to bring me out. But I want to know where God's going. Is there any, anybody, you don't have to raise your hands, but is there anybody like me here today? I mean, I know God's going to bring me out, but just like in the, the SAT test we saw a few moments ago, I want to figure it out. I want to be able to say, okay, God, I, I know I'm in trouble, but I can see where this is headed. And the Bible says that God was with Joseph when he became a slave, and we see that as he rose to power in Potiphar's house. And then it says God was with him when he was in jail. But it just seems like every time God is with him, it goes down a dead-end street. And if I'm Joseph, I want to say, is this some kind of joke? God is with me, but where's this thing going? Well, we've got one more stop. He's in jail now. And he's pushing a broom, and after a while, he's running the jail. One day, the, the warden comes in and says, Hey, Joseph, you got company here. And boy, does he ever. Two new inmates. And they are not ordinary inmates. They are at the top of the power circle. They are right-hand guys for the Pharaoh. You know, when we think about people who are at the right hand of power today, we tend to think about people that do things like overseeing, you know, economics and and defense and stuff like that. But back then, they were very concerned about poisoning. So whoever guarded the Pharaoh's drink or what he ate, those were very, very important people. And it just so happened that Joseph's new buddies were the chief of, you know, Pharaoh's kitchen and his butler. 
And Pharaoh had gotten upset with them about something that they had done, and he just threw them in jail. Pharaoh was a, he was a guy who made quick decisions and always good decisions. And so they got in there, and remember, God has given Joseph this wonderful ability of interpreting dreams. And these two guys have dreams, and they're really, really weird dreams, and they can't figure them out. And Joseph explains them to them. And he says to the baker, I got bad news for you. Your dream means that you're going to die. Pharaoh is going to have you executed. And after three days, it's going to be the end for you. And he tells the butler, I got good news for you. Your dream means that after three days, Pharaoh is going to restore you to power and bring you back to your place and your job with full pay and everything. And it happens. And when they come to get the butler and they say, hey, you got your job back. Pharaoh's cool with you. Everything is fine. The butler turns around to Joseph and says goodbye to him. And Joseph said, hey, I, I, I interpreted your dream for you. I just have a favor to ask. When you go back and talk to the Pharaoh, would you tell him there's a guy down there in the jail who's an innocent man? You tell him that I'm here under a false charge and that I interpreted your dream. And the butler said, oh, yeah, buddy, absolutely. As soon as I get back, I mean, you really helped me. As soon as I get back, I'm going to talk to the Pharaoh about you. Oh, yeah, right? I mean, just like this guy just barely saved his, you know, got his life saved, and he's going to get back and say, oh, Pharaoh, there's a guy down there at the jail. He's, he's, he didn't really do the crime he's accused of. I mean, don't they all say that? And Butler was just glad to get his job back. But he's made a promise to Joseph, and Joseph's down there in the jail, and he doesn't know what's going on. He just assumes at any moment somebody's going to come and take the key and let him out of the cell because Pharaoh has responded to this butler. Ever wait by the phone? It's a job interview, and they say, hey, we'll call you back today. We think you got the job. We got a few things we got to check out, but hey, we'll call you. And you go home, and you sit by the phone. You wait for that phone to ring, you know. You just wait for that phone to take a deep breath and then ring. I think Joseph was like that. He waited all day. Then he waited the next day and the next day. And he wound up waiting for two years. You know, many of us go through those first steps of trouble in our lives, and, and we're still going. You know, we're still going when people don't treat us well. We're still going when we didn't find security in the place where we should have found security. We're still going when, when people accuse us of things that we're not guilty of, and a lot of our work went up in a puff of smoke in one day. But how do you keep going when you wait day in and day out, and nothing seems to change? Two years is a long time for any of us, but it's really a long time to spend in jail. And it's a long time to spend in jail when you're waiting on somebody to come unlock the door. And all during that time, I can just imagine Joseph and wondering, you know, when, at what point is he just going to blow the world off and say, hey, I've had enough, I'm out, I tried to do it right, I tried to follow God, but just not going to go anywhere, I'm out of here, I, I quit. I used to have it. I used to have faith. And I know it pleases God, but it seems like all we ever do is go down dead-end streets. In fact, almost 13 years have now passed since his brother sold him as a slave. But one night, Pharaoh goes to sleep. And he has a dream that just freaks him out. And it would freak me out if I had this dream. There were seven fat cows, big old cows, you know, drinking water out by the river. And the next thing you know, there are seven skinny cows. It looked like they were about to starve to death. And the skinny cows come out there and eat the fat cows. 
And if I'm afraid, well, I just, I don't know what that is. That would really bother me. And they believed the dreams had significance. And God used that to give Pharaoh this dream. And, and so Pharaoh's concerned. He brings in all of his intelligentsia and his soothsayers and everything. And, and he asks them what the dream means. They don't know. They don't have a clue. And about that time, the butler says, I could have had a V8. There's a guy down there in the jail who, who deals with this stuff. And Pharaoh said, trot him out here. And now, here comes Joseph. Prison jumpsuit. I'm sure they cleaned him up and stuff, but if you've been in jail, you've been in jail. And he comes out there and he stands. Imagine this. Here is Joseph standing before the most powerful man in the world. It is the only world government at that moment. And so Pharaoh tells him his dream, and Joseph said, it's kind of like this. The seven fat cows mean you're going to have seven real good prosperous years. And then the seven skinny cows mean immediately following those is going to be a worldwide famine. And, and, you know, I love this about Joseph. Joseph is saying, you know, if you're smart, this is what you'll do. You know, if you're a person who has vision, you can be the lowest person on the chart, but you're the kind of person who can walk into a room and say, this is what you ought to do. So here's a guy who came fresh out of jail. He's talking to the most powerful man in the world. And I love this about Joseph. Joseph's saying, I know what you should do. This is what you ought to do. During the seven good years, there needs to be a collection process where a percentage of the grain is put into storage so that during the seven lean years, you can meter out the grain. People won't starve to death. And he said, if I were you, I would put a really sharp cookie in charge of doing this job. And Pharaoh said, well, I don't think we can beat this boy right here. And in one day, you remember, forgive me for breaking this. Do you remember how in one day when he was in Potiphar's house, he went from being the big man to being in jail? Now God's going to turn that right side up. And in one day, he's going to go from being an inmate to being the most influential man in the world. And all that time, Joseph just kept going and going and going. Here's my question for us. Because, you know, what is it that keeps us going when life doesn't work out? When you just keep getting the punches and you, the disappointments and the abuse and the injustice and the stuff that goes wrong in life, how do you keep rolling? How do you keep on going and keep having it in your life? How do you keep having faith? Well, you came here this morning and you didn't want me to give you some sort of preacher answer, you know, some sort of, you know, aspirin pill from the pulpit. You want real life solutions. I want to give you one explanation from Joseph himself that kept him going. This will keep you going. It's in the last chapter of the book of Genesis, chapter 50. And what has happened here is now, you know, Joseph's brothers who sold him, he's invited them to come live in Egypt. You know, Joseph is wealthy. He's making them wealthy. And they get worried down the road that Joseph is really going to try to get even with them sometime. And they're asking him, are you going to get even with us for what you did? And I want you to see Joseph's answer because it explains to us how he kept going when everything was bad. This is in verse, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Now, this is the thing that kept Joseph going, and this will keep you going, and this is what it is all about. A lot of stuff in our lives is bad. Circumstances are bad. People have bad intentions toward us. What Joseph said to his brothers were, what was this? He was saying, I know you intended to hurt me, but I wasn't focused on your intentions. 
And here's the deal. If you and I focus on our negative circumstances and the the bad things that people do to us, what we're going to say is, I'm never going to come out of this mess. It's going to happen to me. My life is finished. My career is over. My family is just not going to work. If you keep your eyes on your intentions and other people's intentions, it'll drag you down and you'll stop. Joseph said, you intended it for evil But God had another set of intentions, and what kept me going was I was focused on God's intentions for my life. Joseph understood that ultimately it's God's intentions that prevail. And that's true for you and for me. And that's how through all those things, he's still going. How about you today? I may be talking to somebody here and you say, hey, I tried faith and it didn't work. I tried to have confidence in God, but stuff didn't work. So, man, I just threw that down on the ground, and I said, that's it for me. I'm not going to have any more faith. I believe God, but it just all I got was trouble. I would encourage you today to get back in the game because God has intentions for you. At any moment, if Joseph had checked out on God, well, he wouldn't have ever received what God had for him. And by the way, do you realize, do you see the thread that runs through Joseph's life? I mean, God wanted to spare the world from a famine, The power is in Egypt. God's got to get Joseph in Egypt somehow. Slave traders took him to Egypt. He's got to get him close to the Pharaoh. If he doesn't get arrested, he doesn't see the butler and the baker. I mean, God just used all these events in his life, these sequences, to get Joseph right where he wanted. By the way, being the most influential person in the world by the time you're 29 years old, that ain't bad. It's not the normal resume trek, but that ain't bad. I'm talking to another group of people today. You're here and you're saying, Mark, I'm hanging on, but I'm hanging on by a thread. I'm just hanging on by my fingernails. Could I give you one of the most powerful verses in the Bible today regarding faith? It's in the faith chapter or the faith section of the Bible in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Real quickly, I have a bad habit. You know, my wife is one of those kinds of people who saves things and organizes things. I'm the kind of person, if I haven't used it in 10 days, it goes in the trash. You know, I just get rid of it. And I was that way even when I was a kid. And my mom used to have this thing she would say to me. She'd say, Mark, hang on to that. It'll be worth something someday. Listen to what God says about your faith in Hebrews 10, verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. See, God wants us to hang on and to do his will and to do what he's called us to do. And the Bible says that when we do what he's called us to do, he will give us what he's promised. That's what I want to challenge you to do today. Stay in there. Trust God, even when things get bad. And you'll keep going and going and going right to the destiny that God has for you.